Delighted to have you on the show, the Purpose Led Leadership Podcast. We met at Leah Turner's party a few months ago, um, taken aback by your presence on LinkedIn. You've done really well. Um, there's a long introduction I could say, but I'll save that for you. Tell the audience what you do now. Yeah, so I've got a workplace wellbeing business. We look a lot at you know the intersection between wellbeing and inclusion. A lot of people are wondering, well, what the hell is that? Uh, really, we kind of look at what it's like to be well at work how people can belong, about workplace cultures. And a lot of that is from my own journey, psychologist by background, mm-hmm. built and exited a tech company, wow. had some serious health challenges and, you know, learned an awful lot along the way. And to be honest, yeah, I like demystifying what workplace culture actually is. Mm. You know, a lot of talk about it now. A lot of people on LinkedIn acting like, you know, they've built a company and know what they're talking about. Yeah, um, yeah I think me and Chris have our own opinions on that. And I'm pretty Indeed. sure you'll uh, dig into those later. But ultimately, you know, I speak. I do quite a lot of work around looking and thinking, you know, if I was someone else, what challenges would I face? Yeah. And for me, yeah, it's really about, you know, how can we develop as people? How can we grow? In a world where people are telling you all the time they know how you can do it. Mm. You've got to find your own pathway and through adversity, through challenge, through growing, through opportunities and actually looking, you know, how to actually make a difference in the world yeah. and do it in a way that, you know, is beyond just some nice graphics on the internet and talking a big game, but got nothing behind the scenes. Uh, for me, it's about, you know, how do we actually do that turn up every day, make stuff happen mm-hmm. and take people on the journey with you fascinating insight there i'm already intrigued i had some questions written down but from that introduction i've got another seven or eight questions we're going to tackle the culture one first right um what's your understanding of what culture is or what's a good culture and a bad culture yeah so i mean in in the workplace when we're talking about culture you know there are so many different aspects to it and it's almost like you know the world as it is today it's got Mm. almost muddied into this idea of what it actually is yeah Uh, for me you know we turn up for work, you know, having been on both sides as an employee and as a business owner. Yeah. Ultimately, culture is how people are able to navigate an organization. You know, organizations are effectively an ecosystem of people mm-hmm. who wouldn't necessarily come together on the street and do stuff as yeah. a team. And it's about how you foster a space where people are listened to, where people feel like they do belong, mm. you know, but people from different backgrounds, it's easy to have a good culture. Yeah. If everyone's the same and agrees all the time, yeah. But are you going to be innovative? Are you going to come up with different ideas? Are you going to actually, you know, be able to make things that are unique? Mm. No, not if everyone agrees all the time. Mm. So a culture is a place where there's some healthy conflict. Yeah. A culture is a place where people have opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. And a culture is a place where ultimately, at the end of the day, people turn up, create a good climate to work, don't take the mick. Yeah. But also know that there are opportunities for them and an ability to actually push forward. And part of that is fostered through people having a bit of autonomy and not being micromanaged to the nth degree. Yeah. But also knowing that, you know, they have to, in some ways, push that forward as well. Because, you know, we've in a world today where expectations around work are changing, mm. the employer to employee balance has shifted quite a bit over this past few years. Yes, it has. But actually, we've got to find, you know, culture is made up of well-being, it's made up of leadership, it's made up of inclusion. Lots of pieces to that puzzle. Mm. Are you going to get it perfect all the time? No. There's a big difference between psychological safety and psychological comfort. And some people are thinking, actually, you know, like a good culture is a comfortable culture. It's not the case. You know, businesses don't operate in comfort. Love that. Yeah. I think that's so true. I think that you, you can have different ends of the spectrum where, you know, people are made to feel uncomfortable because that's what's deemed to get them results. But also I think there's other examples where there's no accountability at all. Give us some ex- examples maybe that where you've encountered either or both of those. Yeah. So I think if I kind of look, you know, a good part of our workers uh, organization is, is the strategic aspects of this. So that work is generally with, with scale ups who are on that journey where a founders like, yeah. you know what, when we were 15 people, I knew everyone, you know, I knew what they were having for tea. Uh, they, my door was always open. They could come. Yeah. And actually now, you know, we took on 50 people. I'm a team of 65. I've got two sites and I mm. don't know. How do I kind of yeah. foster that? And mm. it's all this stuff around workplace being a family. Um, and workplace ain't a family. It's a workplace. 
I love it's that. A... I've just interjected there. I've put some posts out uh, about the whole family thing, and most people agree with me, but I got shot down quite a lot. How dare you say it's not family? Because I, I believe that the family thing is kind of like it's an old school thing, right? And when you uh, assimilate a family with a culture, it's almost like if you leave, you're dead to me kind of thing, and no one, no jobs for life, right? And I think it's it smacks of almost like a cult. Yeah, it's, thing. The, the thing is, it, it creates expectations and boundaries. Yeah. Like everyone has got someone in the family who is universally rude and you know right. they, they turn up at family events and everyone's like trying to get away from them. The reality yeah. is that that person is still tolerated in the family. Yes. And you even think of family businesses. Yeah. You know, that's true. different generations of family working together. Mm. It's, it's not, it's not glorious. No, no. It's bloody hard work. Yeah. And, and, and you, you wouldn't ever fire a family member. It's very rare that you would, wouldn't you? You know? Yeah. And I, I think that the, this idea that a workplace is a family, it, it's almost a bit, it's almost gaslighting people in my opinion. To a point where you're actually saying you need to you need to believe in this as much as I do. Mm. You need to you know br basically break your boundaries to be like a family member, yeah. but that's not reciprocated. You know yeah. when times get tough, you've got to make decisions. You've been there. Yeah, you've got to let people go sometimes for their betterment. A bit like Some, the, the, yeah. the leaders and the directors or the, or the parents and the employees of the children, and that is such a broken <laughs> culture, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, you know, if you're not able to let people be adults in the workplace, we're talking about culture. Big part of culture is treat your people like adults, not like children, not mm. like you know your, your little flock of flock of people. Mm. And yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think it's important. You made the point about accountability, and I think that the great leadership teams and the great culture there is it's more of a flat structure, but also. Some, some of the best leaders are the ones that have already been led. And you've got to encourage and engender challenge and feedback and all that kind of stuff. And I think, I think that with the advent of more social media and video and, you know, I think that um, leaders have been found out a bit more and the general employees has, has more of a voice as well. Yeah, definitely. And you see open letters now. Yeah. For people clubbing together and challenging a company's culture. Right, yeah. You see leaders being kind of opened up online. You hear stories being shared and there was a point where I think employees used to think, if I share anything, I'm doomed. I'm going to mm. be cut off, not only from my business, but all my comp all the competitors, you know, they're yeah. going to spread messages about me. They're going to make me unemployable. Yeah, yeah. People are a little bit less fearless now. Mm. That also has a flip side where, you know, sometimes expectations on employers yeah. have increased to a point where actually yeah. that's a bit untenable. Yeah. And, you, you know, when you run a business, you realize that actually... There are a lot of restraints to the things that you would, might want to do for your teams. And actually, you have, you know, budgetary constraints. You mm. have challenges. You can't please everyone. Like some yeah. people are making it on social media that if, you know, yeah. if, you, if your needs are not being met instantly, that's yes. it. It's a toxic oh, place to work. Oh, I totally agree. Unless they've got like, you know, six and a half days working from home and duvet days every every week. And it's, you know, it can be, it's, it can be a difficult balance to strike because ultimately, um, it's a bit like the interview thing though as well, isn't it? I think the whole process of hiring somebody back in my day, it was a bit like, well, they've got to run through a brick wall and demonstrate they can jump up and down and on one leg before they get the job. Well, actually, no, it's a two-way street. Um, and on, on the flip side as well, it's a bit like, I think that can be taken too far where um, the employee has more power. I mean, how do you think, how do you think it's going to change moving forward? What's the landscape looking like in that regard, do you think? Yeah, I think it's starting to move back a bit from what right. it was with that real employee focus. And yeah, I mean, there's an interesting thing where when you run a business, there is part of it where you want to sell your business to potential recruits yeah, who yeah. are talented, mm. who could add a lot of value, bring new skill sets, you know, bring, you know, some diversity to your organization. Yeah. You, you need to be able to think about how you can sell your business, but not to the point where, you're not actually, you know, actually mm. really digging down in, into what value they can bring. Yes. Because you know yeah. that that whole process, the recruitment process, you you're in a recruitment business. Yeah, yeah. It's intensive yeah. to get the right people. It really is. Yeah, and you can't just be doing that at the flip of a hat. You know, hiring because hiring people is mm. massively important, especially for early hires. They make a massive difference to your organization moving forward, and and to have an informed process to that. Yeah. Make sure it's inclusive. Yeah, start to think about how you, because you, you know, you know, if you see someone's name, people make assumptions on name, yeah, where they went to school, job history. Yeah, you know, they take a CV. There's you know, seventeen different biases that come into play yeah. before they've even put it down. But hmm. you know, as part of that process, yeah, 
interviews can't be like they were in the 50s. No. But we need to start to think about how we actually create a process that is a bit more inclusive and sometimes yeah. relevant to the position because some more technical positions need a more technical interview because mm. a lot of people aren't coming to do a job where they're actually showcasing interview skills on a daily basis. They're coming to do a job which, you know, has yeah. usually a variety of different skills at play. That's but, it. Yeah, not but just talking. There's a lot there. I want to talk to you about your journey, obviously, but back onto the, 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 the inclusion piece and the interview piece, which is a good one. I mean, it's a very complex, difficult, evolving thing, isn't it? Uh, making sure that your uh, employee engagement strategy is inclusive. But how? What tips can you give business owners and companies to make sure that they're at least doing some of this right? Because I think it's very difficult to get it right from the start, right? Yeah, and I, and I think that not thinking it's going to be perfect is a good place to start mm. but start to see the the small things that you can do yeah like within a within a recruitment process for example the first thing you've got to think about is you know the position itself and is there any flexibility around that position yeah you've got to be thinking about how it's worded mm -hmm. you need to be thinking where where does that go because you know yeah. a lot of companies are like we're not getting any diverse applicants mm. well where the hell is the advert going yeah, the advert's important, isn't it? It can't be generic. Because the advert can rule people in or out sometimes, can't it? Yeah, massively. Massively through the words that are used, through mm. how it's structured. Mm. Uh, we all still know, you know, like seven years, seven years on the job experience, yeah. degree from a Russell Group University. Mm. And it's like, you know, how, how much talent are you cutting out? Mm. How much potential great people are you overseeing or missing? by the simple things that you've got with it within that structure yeah. but also the bigger thing is you know if it's written by a certain type of person it's going to attract a certain type of person as well yeah. and i you know you've seen as well some of these uh job adverts where you know we want a we want a well-being ninja mm. and they actually turn it into something that sounds completely ridiculous yeah. and no one's going to apply for a job where it's yeah. not clear what their role is mm who they're going to be accountable to, Yeah. what KPIs are going to be measured against. Well, that's it. And it's just like uh, the interview process itself as well is kind of quite a flawed process because like someone in an interview scenario is not necessarily the same person in the role that they're doing. And I think companies get really confused by that. They don't, they don't test on the competency of the actual role and the environment. They test on how well they can actually answer a question and that might not even be relevant. Yeah, and the biggest thing for me is if we look at research and studies, what you'll find is, for example, men are more valued on confidence right. than competence, but women are more valued on competence. Okay. So what that actually means is two people go into an interview yeah. and you're more likely to get the job as a man because wow. you are valued on your confidence. Wow. Even if you know there's a female candidate who, who is you know of the same level of competence. So a, a confident woman is deemed someone who is probably... Uh, how would they deem that as opposed well, to a confident man? Well, it's it, they're more likely to be deemed potentially as a bit more aggressive, right. a bit more bolshy, a bit harder to work with, a bit more difficult to manage. Just because they got confident. Just because they're confident. But if they're right. less confident, um, generally they're le a lot less likely to get the job. Wow. Confidence is valued more in men. And that's just a structural thing from mm. the fact that, you know, a few generations ago, there yeah, were only yeah. a few women in the workplace. Sure. Sure. Uh, but it's weighted more in men. Yes. And, you know, that is seen as quite a yeah. powerful indicator in interviews when actually competence is usually what's going to have people mm. in the position being effective at what they do. Mm. And, you know, you'll have met on your, on your journey a lot of people who've got a hell of a lot of self-confidence. Yeah. But they're unconsciously incompetent and create this trail of destruction. I mean, there's a long way to go, isn't there, with this whole equity and equality piece. But I, I've witnessed and noticed that there has been much more prevalent women coming into the fore in, in sports in business in, in in all sorts of which is great and fantastic but um what do you what do you think society and men can do more to help in that regard women in that regard yeah i think you know um you've done quite a lot of work in this field it's something i'm quite vocal about mm. and i think there's numerous different aspects to it chris i mean yeah. firstly we need to accept that society has been built by men mm -hmm. and you know that is over the past few thousand years has been just a way of operating yeah that's a standard so we have to appreciate that you know that is the place the world that we were born into that's not our fault but there is something we mm. can do to start to think about how we make a change with that yeah and you know for, from a male perspective we do have a level of privilege and power 
Yeah. We don't have we don't have to give that up. It's all about how do we use that to make the world a better place for other people. Yes. And you know, that requires going on a bit of a journey. Like for me, yeah. that, that journey only really started when I became a stay at home dad and actually spent some time at home with my kids and thought, Christ, man, this is hard work. There's an awful lot that goes into this. Absolutely. Uh, and having that experience kind of really changed my viewpoint. Speaking to more women, starting to listen to, yeah. you know, my female employees, I actually started to hear things and think, mm. Christ, I didn't even know that was going on. Yeah. I didn't know it was a thing. You know, you, you don't know what you don't know. No, and for a lot of men at the minute, they feel like this, all this inclusion diversity stuff, man, there's nothing for me in this. Like, yeah. why should I even bother? truth is if we make the world a more equitable place yeah. it benefits everyone there's actually more opportunity not less i think that's that's the uh, the paradox that men or whoever think that oh if if i promote this for women there would be less opportunity for me but it doesn't work like that right no and it's like unfortunately it's in a place where i think you know 20 odd percent of men in a recent poll said yeah. it had gone so far that it was impacting their job opportunities and actually they felt that all this inclusion stuff, it had gone too far. But the reality is, Chris, it's not pie. No. By increasing gender equity yeah. and opportunities for women, yes. it doesn't mean that men get less pie. No. It means that men can come along, bake a bigger pie, yeah. and everyone gets more. Yeah. And I mean, who don't want more pie? I want more pie. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I want to delve back into that. But I mean, reading up on you, as any good podcast host does, you've got a very eclectic background and journey. I want to hear everything. So give give us give us a uh, an overview of your journey from school to now. Yeah, I mean eclectic is one way to put it, Chris. You know, <laughs> uh, so I grew up on a council estate in Bolton, in the northwest. I couldn't tell by the accent. <laughs> <laughs> well, my parents were teenagers when they had me. A bit of a surprise. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, my parents backed me. They kind of thought, you know, he's, he's got an opportunity. This lad. Mm-hmm. Uh, some teachers you know, really pushed me on. Yeah, Some yeah. teachers doubted me, but I did all right at school and I kept out of trouble. So always asking questions. Mm-hmm. I was always interested in why people were doing what they were doing. Like yeah. sat there watching adults, like arguing about stuff and thinking like, what's the point? Um, but yeah, I was that kid who was, was always curious. Uh, got the first one in my family to uni, mm-hmm. went off to Manchester, you know, studying business and psychology because I had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, at that point, like most 18 year old lads, no idea at all. Uh, but you know, it was a lot of pressure and quite a lot. Of, it was a privilege to go, but it was a mm. lot of pressure. I was kind of like held up as like an example of what you could do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in the middle of my studies, ended up dropping out mental health in a bad place, locked myself in my dorm, got extracted by security, spent a year at home, getting my head straight, getting into a better place, realizing that I was I wasn't a failure. I just failed to apply myself properly. Mm. Got back to university, graduated, and got into a grad scheme at a national bank. Then again, thought, you know, pa- big pathway here, big career, made it. Graduated in 07. Went in right at the top of the bubble, you know, mm. like Wolf of Wall Street, British style. Um, <laughs> but then a few months later, they weren't chucking money about They were packing up the desks. Mm. Lost that grad scheme. Right. Uh, that forced me back home to my parents' house. They'd sold up. Uh, so I got a little tiny bedroom at the back of the house with a boiler in it. Um, right. From there, that's where my tech business started. So, you know, desperation quite often gives you the seed to do something that you'd wanted to do. Sure. Uh, had the freedom to do that, invested a few months wages, grew that, you know, six figures in seven months in terms of revenue because I just hit market opportunity at the right mm. time. Uh, grew that over five years, uh, built a team, you know, similar to yourself, leader in your, in your 20s, mm-hmm. not much life experience, mm-hmm. mistakes, yeah. lessons, yeah. stress, yeah. challenges, responsibility. All of the above. But learned so much yeah. along the journey as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then in 2014, uh, my immune system failed, uh, attacked all my body, uh, left me unable to walk. Uh, son was 18 months old, wife was six months pregnant. I was stuck in a hospital bed, couldn't feed myself, couldn't go wash myself properly. Uh, Stripped back, learned, you know, had a year's recovery, learned to walk again. Uh, and in that period, realized maybe there's something else out there. Maybe, you know, maybe I can go and impact the world. Uh, that's when I decided, you know what, I'm a step back from my business. Mm. People are competent. Yeah. I've been, probably been the biggest blocker to it going, going forward at that point. Um, and then, yeah, spent basically three and a half years as a stay at home dad. Spent so, loads of time with my kids before they started school. Talk to us about that. 
the immune system failing and not being able to walk. I mean, that isn't just any old thing, right? How did that affect you? Oh, geez. So I went from, you know, fully fit, fully independent, doing whatever I wanted when I wanted. Yeah. Uh, to suddenly, you know, over the course of five days, my body started to attack itself. All my body, you know, my joints started to swell up. Yeah. I had knees like rugby balls, shoulders up by my ears. Uh, it was agony. Felt like my body were on fire. Mm. Um, I end up in hospital, they're testing me for all sorts of things. And, yeah. you know, when you go in and you're in that position and my son's 18 months old, like visiting me, like looking at me like, daddy, why can't you play? Sure. I was, at first I was like, why me? Why now? Yeah, yeah. Because I was supposed to be there. You know, I was going to take a bit of a step back from the business for when my daughter was born. But I was just flat out. Uh, you know, I was angry you know, trying to deal with that losing your independence, mm. kind of having your physicality removed over such a quick period. I was yeah. in shock. Yeah. But after a few weeks, you know, I had some time to process it. I spoke to people who came. I opened up about how I felt. I journaled some of those feelings down. Got mm. to a place where I was in hospital, you know, got moved up onto a longer term ward, looking out the window across the fields and thought, I woke up one morning, yeah. looked out across the fields and thought, I've walked across those fields lots of times never once been grateful for being able to walk yeah and then i lost it and then suddenly i realized i've never been grateful but i should have been mm. and then started to think about all the things that i had had the opportunity to do you know the freedom to set up a business free health care education opportunities you know you know that's so powerful that remind reminds me of a couple of times when i've been in a really dark place one when i lost my 25 million pound business another time when i was actually in a pub lock-in um, and I hadn't seen my eldest son for six months, and the feeling of being of, of, of vacancy and uh, just I was bereft. And then something overcame me, and I, this this kind of gratitude over uh, overcame me. And I think it's in those kind of real dark moments that you just sometimes you get strength, and kind of the only way is up, and you look at, look at things differently, right? Well, yeah, and I, I think, and I'll be honest, Chris, like a week before I ended up in that hospital bed. I was there, you know, building company forecasts, looking at my EBITDA thinking, yeah. geez, need to get, need to, I need to really push on with this. Yeah. A week later, I didn't give a crap about my EBITDA. I didn't give a crap about my liquidity ratios. Mm. I didn't give a crap about any of my financials. Mm. I couldn't freaking walk. Yeah, and it's like, it, it switched what was important yeah, yeah. overnight. So in a way, like people will scoff at this. Some people won't, but it's almost like it happened. Everything happens for a reason. Like it's probably... A great thing, in yeah. A way, right? Yeah, and I now reflect back and think it happened for me. Yeah. yeah, it happened to stop me and make me reflect on what I was doing, and yeah. you know, I was said I'd I planned to take a step back from the business, right, and have that reflection period. Mm -hmm. That happened before I had the option to do wow. so, but ultimately, I reflect back now and think that has fundamentally changed how I see the world. Sure. It's fundamentally changed how I turn up every day. Yeah, yeah. And actually that has been the catalyst for the business that I have today, mm. which I'm happier in my position of running. And actually the knock-on events of that adversity, I've grown out of that trauma. Just give you that strength. Like It's almost like you can handle pretty much anything now. Yeah. And you know what? I brought my ankle a few, a few, you know, two years ago. I was like, ah, whatever. <laughs> just a flesh wound. You know, like literally it, it, it does yeah, create, yeah. um, yeah, yeah. does create a feeling that you can go for adversity and it's yeah. just another pothole yeah. that you drop into. Yeah. You just then need to climb out. And one of the big memories for me, Chris, is I went into walking rehab with nine other people. So, well, there was nine of us, eight, eight plus me. And, of that group, you know, people had had spinal injuries, lower limb injuries, mm. you know, everyone had lost the ability to walk for for, for differing reasons, wow. right? But in that room, we used to kind of wait before we'd, we'd go in and do our, you know, relevant circuits and stuff like that. Mm. And there was three of us who'd found a place of acceptance with what had happened. We had our heads up. We were kind of like, you know, what do we need to do to get back on our feet? We kind of come, come to realize, and that's a big thing through that experience, is that I decided to take ownership over my own outcomes. Wow. I stopped suffering and just realized this pain is going to set me free at the end of the day. And actually, I need to embrace it and accept that I can't change it. My immune system's gone off on a direction. I have no control over that. It's happened. I don't know what my outcomes are going to be, but you know what? I'm going to take ownership of my health. I'm going to take accountability for getting mm. back on my feet. Mm. And I'm actually going to think, Lee, 
just accept what's happened. And do you think that acceptance and ownership and taking responsibility was the reason why you recovered? Who do you think were the first three out of work in rehab? Obviously you. The three with the heads up. The three people had accepted what had happened mm. and weren't still ruminating over, oh, I wish it didn't happen. And just accepted that, you know, life had taken them a bad turn. But actually, you know, that acceptance gives you the platform to take ownership over mm. what you can control. The peace of mind you must have got, even though you couldn't walk. I mean, I can't even imagine what that's like. But, but to then to be able to accept that that was the situation. But do, do you accept it was going to be that for life? Or you just accepted that was the situation, but you also thought, I'm going to get out of this? Yeah, so it's an acceptance that you can't change right. certain things. Yeah. So I realised that I can't change the fact that this has happened. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can sit here all day and think, oh, I, I wish, I wish, it, I wish this hadn't have happened. Yeah. Really bad timing. Yeah. Like, I've never been in hospital before. I've always looked after myself. This isn't fair. Mm. And I could have sat there in that cycle, ruminating and suffering yeah, yeah. for as long as, as as I would have to a point where I'd finally just got to an acceptance mm. and just appreciated. Wow. I can't change it, but what can I change? Mm. And it's that thing, you know, the really trite sayings people put in on the, like, the little LinkedIn quotes like, yeah. ooh, Look at, make sure you control the controllables. Yeah. And I look at it and I think, yeah. if you've lived something where you've gone through that, then maybe you can, you know, yeah. there's an appreciation there. But in life, there are things that you can control and the things that you can influence. Yeah. And you have, but you have to come to a place of acceptance. Otherwise, you'll be stuck thinking about the things that you can't. And that's, you know, what made a difference for me is just being able to accept, you know, this has happened. It's shit. Mm. But actually, I can't change that. What yeah. can I change? Yeah. I can actually make sure that I turn up every day. I do my physio, I put effort in, I believe that I can. And you know what, Chris, as well, a big driver in that period, my daughter was born Wow. when I was in rocking rehab. Really? So wow. I had a reason. Yes. I was determined I was going to take her for steps with her. That drove me on. Mm. And you know what? I had problems with my spine. I had problems with my walking gait in that period. But those setbacks, yeah, they yeah. weren't going to knock me back, you know? Exactly. When you've, you will do more for other people than you'll do mm. for yourself. And I got myself back on my feet. I took my dots for steps with her. And you know what? When you've got a compelling purpose and a reason to do something, mm -hmm. you will crack on and make it happen. 100. I mean, this is the purpose of the Leadership Podcast. I am a strong advocate of purpose. And you've articulated how important purpose is there. And I think you're rudderless without purpose. You're directionless. And whatever your purpose is, it evolves and changes, right? But, you know, you can have all the money, glitz and glamour. It's money's important, but it's it's the reason why. And I think you've, you've, you've encapsulated that really well. What is your purpose now? So my purpose now is to be able to empower and enable other people to look after their health. Yeah. And that's kind of driven through realizing that for some people, those opportunities are less. Mm. And that's where the inclusion part of my work comes okay. in. But what I will say about purpose is, again, we live in a world where, you know, people are stood there, you know, selling the courses. Find your purpose. Mm. You don't find your purpose in someone else's goddamn course. No way. You find your purpose by taking the statue that you are as a human yeah. and gradually chiseling it bit by bit with experiences. Mm -hmm. You find your purpose in going through difficult challenges, coming yeah. out the other side thinking, you know, what was good, what wasn't so good, what did I enjoy, what didn't I enjoy? Mm -hmm. And gradually, there's an underlying thread of what your purpose is. Yeah. You'll gradually be able to pick at it bit by bit yeah. as you chisel that statue. You identify your gifts and then you and then you you're ready to impart them on other people. I think as well, right? Yeah, and and but that comes through living. Yeah. And what I find is, you know, what well, I'm I'm 37, right? You know, and I meet some people who've lived at speed like I have. Yeah, yeah. And it's like the 50, 60, the wise. They've managed to unravel yeah. that purpose and yeah. and pick at it and create something that's, that's actually, you know, valuable. Whereas some people have lived so slowly you know they've not really lived enough to really unpick that purpose mm. so they're still rudderless they're still mm. aimless they're still yeah, kind yeah. of wondering why they're here and that shows that you know purpose again isn't directly correlated to age no. it's correlated to you know experience intensity challenge you know sure. what you've been through sure and again you know that it takes it takes effort to do that you don't just turn up one morning and wow insight you know suddenly your purpose lands on your lap and you're like wow this this is what i was meant to do yeah and this is why people uh, don't get it because they think oh he's harping about purpose i don't know what a purpose i don't need a purpose it, it's unique for each person it constantly evolves moves and shakes and that's and that's uh something that's actually also quite exciting as well and sometimes your purpose can be uh through adversity as you've said let's continue your journey I want to go back a little bit as well. So you kind of recovered from not being able to walk, which is phenomenal in itself. You had your your baby daughter. 
what's the next phase of your journey? Yeah, so I then realised, you know, I've, I've got this business. It's been great. It's it taught me a lot, but actually, hmm. how purposeful is it to me? Right. And kind of realised actually, it wasn't. It wasn't lighting me up. So I kind of, kind of realised, having spent that recovery time, it made me think, what, what's important? Yeah. And I realised, you know, my family's important. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, again, for all the financial ratios, for all the revenue figures, like. That didn't mean crap when I was lying in hospital. Yeah, yeah. But actually, who was there for me? My family was coming visiting. People were, you know, helping me do basic things. People mm-hmm. were wheeling me to showers, and it makes you realise, oh, man, not, not, you know, you, you, none of my employees were coming doing that because they're not my family. No, no. <laughs> and that goes back to the family thing again. Sure. But for me, it was like, how can I now be there? I realised, you know, my kids are young. They're starting school in a few yeah. years. I'm gonna give the time now and invest the time in my kids. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. what I did. Took them to parent and toddler groups, went on days out, you know, doing all yeah. sorts. And the bond I got with my kids now, they're eight and 10. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, there is no amount of money that could give me the bond that I've got, no amount of time in the future. And I could have fought and gone back into business and worked, you know, 70 hour weeks and not yeah. seen them. Now, they'd not know where I am. And when the teenagers, they don't give a crap if you've not invested any time in them yeah. when you're younger. And not everyone has that opportunity. No, no. Some people are not, some people are not able to see the kids. Yes. Some people don't have the financial ability to do that. Yeah. I did. And I realized this is a privilege. Use right. that privilege, right. Lee. Spend time with your kids. Soon they'll be at school, yeah. doing after school activities. You won't see them that much. Yeah. But spend the time now. I always think that um, what's meant for us won't pass us by. And maybe god or if you're religious or whether it was or something in the universe was telling you you weren't ready for that level of success money a bit like what happened to me and i think that in a way um probably preparing you for the success you've had now yeah massively i kind of look back and think you know i was that i was a young black lad at uni i went to pitch my business in my final year of uni to a mentor in manchester mm. you know i had two successful companies uh, you know, in his in his late fifties at that point, I'm the like twenty year old. Uh, sat down, showed him my forecast, my business plan. He looked at it and said, "Lee, you know, sound this watertight market yeah. opportunities there. You know, yeah. he, he stands a pretty good chance. He's got legs. Yeah. But Lee, you're going to find it really difficult because you're young, you're black, got an attitude problem. <laughs> you've not got a network. You've got yeah. no funding behind you. Right. You know." The people in the, the people in the industry are going to look at you and they're going to shut the doors. Yeah. Go out in industry. Go out into industry. Smooth your rough edges off. Come and try and execute when you've got more experience. Mm. And I took that and didn't end up starting that business until I got made redundant. Right. Right. Um, but that doubt, I I on that business journey wanted to prove people wrong because mm. I've been doubted. Of course. And that was powerful fuel to fully apply myself but it was also limited my opportunities for learning yeah made me sometimes too blinkered uh mm. and at times was a was a, a limiter an inhibitor and what i realized is you know that business journey it taught me an awful lot yeah but actually when i reflect back now you know that business was was born and, and grew out of me proving people wrong rather than doing something that was meaningful to me yeah and you know yeah. that negative fuel only ever lasts so long I totally agree with that that's what happened to me you know you're my guest but there's there's lots of similarities to me around i got to 20 million 25 million and all these different houses and watches and cars and offices and um uh I don't think I was really on the planet. I didn't. I it didn't feel fulfilled to me, and it didn't feel right. Whereas now, what I'm doing is I'm still earning good money, but it's there. There is a substance. There is a purpose there, and I think that um, people listen to this and think, "Yeah, but when you talk negatively about money, it, it has an impact on the, the money you receive." I think. I think there's a relationship you need to have with money and success. Yes. And it's important to have that. But if it's all you're doing is focused on right, we got to grow this business, we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to do this. I think you're in danger of actually not living in the present moment with all the other stuff that's important in life. Yeah. I mean, I, I had, I had challenges. Like I, I was in year three of the business. We we're approaching, you know, seven figure turnover. I was still working a part-time job. It's amazing. Because I didn't have the identity. Hmm. I was disconnected from it all and didn't have an ability to really value or appreciate what I was doing. Um, that's due to the relentlessness and due to that kind of, 
again coming from a relatively deprived background yeah yeah but what happened is kind of you hit that tipping point and you're scaling and what actually happened to me is i started to feel like the snowball of my own success was chasing me down the hill yeah and actually i started to become fearful of my own success right and it was a scary place to be because you know you you've had this idea that you're going to go up this mountain and this is going to be your mountain you're going to travel that journey and i hate mountain analogies (laughs) oh they really it's just the typification of this self-help bullshit world that we live in that you know you're climbing your mountain yeah hell man most people you know they go to a base camp and then they're off on some other journey yeah um but i literally got to a point where the kind of the thing that i built started to chase me because I hadn't grown enough on that journey to Got be you. able to be in control of what I'd built. Got you. Um, and so that was in control. You weren't. Exactly. And I think that, you know, what a lot of people don't realize about young entrepreneurs is you sometimes your own lack of life experience yeah, yeah. is powerful because you've become naively optimistic about things. Yeah. And also that yeah. naive optimism means that sometimes you do things that seem massively insightful. Yeah. But if we look at the statistics... It's like you're riding your luck a little bit. <laughs> exactly. It's older entrepreneurs who generally bring a more leveled approach, yeah, yeah. bring that life experience yeah. and actually don't end up, you know, in a place where the business is bigger than them. And yeah, for me, I'd lost some of those learning opportunities uh, by being mm. so blinkered about success. Yeah. And I had to completely redefine what success meant to me because the success that I thought I wanted was proving people wrong. Yeah. I got that, but then found that that same success was chasing me down a mountain and leaving yeah. me frightened yes. and actually fearful instead of yeah. being able to celebrate it. Yeah. And that's kind of now become this journey that I'm on, which is a very, very different journey, which is not a mountain at all. I'm kind of like messing around in the weeds you know planting gardens and having a bit of fun uh and it's a very very different journey but that's again born from completely redefining what success is Mm. and it's not it's not my it's not my ebit down my balance sheet no it's about finding a balance of working with people that i like yes with clients that i want to work with uh and being able to actually make an impact in the world and wake up in the morning knowing i'm going to do something good and interesting like coming on the purpose-led podcast nice one Thanks for that. I want to talk to you about some of the awards and accolades like the the Great Britain Entrepreneur of the Year, I think. And there's loads of other stuff. But I want to jump to LinkedIn because you said something quite interesting about you see some of these posts where there's people saying control the controllables or this is how you do this. And they they haven't even run a business or run a bath, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) What's what's, what's your view on on that kind of... I mean... It, it is challenging and we, we live in this ecosystem and, and LinkedIn is in many ways a beautiful place because mm. unlike some other social platforms, you can actually reach a lot of people without having much of a following, mm. which in this world of the attention economy where you pretty much have to pay for eyeballs yeah, is yeah. incredibly invaluable. At the same time, we kind of face those interesting challenges of the barriers to entry on LinkedIn are very low. Yeah. And it's very easy to kind of set yourself up or advertise yourself as an expert. Mm. And mm. there's a lot of people kind of on that journey where when we started our businesses, we were ridiculed for stepping outside of that, you know, employee matrix, that good career that we get. Yeah, you know, yeah. we were kind of told, yeah. what are you doing? You, you, we were the outliers. We were the misfits by yeah. going, you know, why, why would you do that? Go and get yourself a profession, a, a good job for life. Yeah. Uh, but now it's actually become really glamorous because people yeah. who say, are saying they're entrepreneurs, and I even have an issue with the word, right? Mm. Entrepreneurs really are people who, who've created something that's quite innovative, mm. something that's kind of new. Mm. And, you know, it, it comes from like ancient French, which yeah. means to swim out. And actually have an impact on a significant amount of people as well. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, the reality is that there are a lot of people on LinkedIn you know, some in the personal branding type space, some mm. in the self-help type space, some mm. in the, you know, business coaching type space, mm. were realistically, they're just clones of each other. Mm. And the mm. shallow kind of platitudes that they share mm. and the, you know, bits of advice. I mean, we should all be mindful of who we take advice off. Yeah, There's way too much advice out there and not enough encouragement. But when it comes to building a business, there is nothing that can really prepare you for it. It's like, it's a bit like stepping into fatherhood. Yeah. There isn't really a manual. Businesses are complex things. There is no seven step strategy. You need to get your head around concepts like finance, concepts like marketing, concepts like sales, development, 
people. Yes. That there, there is there isn't no playbook for those things. There is advice out there. There's good best practices. But what I will say, Chris, is you know for some of these kind of like people who are spouting lots of business advice, mm. I feel like just popping into their inbox and saying, "What do you know about EBITDA?" <laughs> or, or questions yeah. that would probably put them on the spot a little yeah. bit because they haven't actually grown anything. Yeah. And you know yeah. what? It's easy to sign up for twelve quid on Companies House. Yeah. And kind of say, oh, I'm a, I'm a business owner now. Yeah. To actually scale a business yeah. and have those sleepless nights. Manage people and process and everything else. Let's be honest. It's not a game. No. And sometimes I'm frustrated when people are walking around giving people mm. not so well-meaning advice, pretending yeah. like it's a game. Yeah. When actually business is serious. It's mm. complex. And there is no simple way to do it. It can be really complicated. And yeah. you learn a lot through the experience of doing it yeah you mentioned earlier on about mental health at university so you're 37 now so 20 20 odd years ago right so talk to us about your specific mental health journey and some adversity with that and how you've got through and obviously you know with your immune system breaking down that's going to affect anyone's mental health right but just in general terms as well yeah so we're talking like 2004 2005 uh moved out to manchester loving life Mm. Uh, but started to struggle really for a lot of yeah. young men going through the adolescent adult transition you know i'm i'm young i'm black at that point i'm thinking you know i'm a bit of a mix of a character yeah. you know part part business focused part scientific pretty thoughtful yeah but when i started to struggle you know there wasn't any resources out there there wasn't anyone at university who was going to help you know, I didn't have anyone to speak to. And as a young black man, it's not very gangster to say, you know what, I'm struggling. Mm. And especially back then, there weren't the places to go. There weren't the people to speak to. I was looking out for role models, Chris. There weren't anyone like me. All, yeah. all black guys, you know, they were footballers. They were rappers. They were in the movies. Yeah. Anyone like me? Any role models? No, I was struggling. I was looking for a pathway. You talk about, you mentioned young black a few times. How was that? more difficult for you and it's an obvious question but specifically around the disadvantage of that and the bias and the judgment and almost maybe the racism as well what, what, what did you encounter in that journey yeah so i mean I, I had a racist incidents you know not so many as other people but growing up in bolton's very very small black community mm. we're talking like a few families yeah yeah so you know i was growing up in white dominant environments which you know, in itself presented some challenges because, yeah. you know, other people didn't appreciate some of the challenges that you were going through. Um, you know, I, I was called a little black bastard at school and stuff like that. And, right. you know, that kind of stuff, mm. it doesn't happen in the same way now, but it's different. People get it online. Mm. Like, I didn't get it online. I just got it to my face. Wow. I got, you know, I got beaten up a few times mm -hmm. in town and that. Um, but I kind of look back and think it could have been an awful lot worse, especially when you're hearing stuff that goes out, goes yeah. on in America now. Sure. Like, um, I kind of look back and I'm grateful that, you know, I had friends, I had people to stick up for us. Mm -hmm. I, I had a teacher who looked out for us and made sure, you know, mm -hmm. I was all right. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think, you know, you're in that place where, especially as a young black man, it's a hyper-masculine culture, you know. Mm -hmm. People that I know are now inside doing time. Uh, they were part of gangs, very much into, you know, the types of music, if you think, you know, 20 years ago. You know, rap and R and B. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't soft music. No, wasn't. No. Well, it, it wasn't didn't help the culture. I don't think. Too it, much, it, it, and to be honest, especially when you when all the black males that you see are in you know competitive environments sure, in sports sure. in music, mm. it makes you think that that's how you got to be as well. And I'm, you know what? I'm competitive. I'm driven, but I'm also quite soft. <laughs> if right. I'm brutally honest, okay. as as an individual, I'm quite thoughtful. Yeah. And you know that thought became a bit of a problem. I started to overthink things. I started to feel like I couldn't handle my life. Right. And, you know, I was working alongside my degree because again, yeah. you know, I didn't have parents who could just send me some money. Um, so I felt a lot of responsibility mm -hmm. and I just didn't have the answers, Chris. Mm -hmm. And that led me to a place where I started to avoid things, you know, my friends, societies, working, yeah, uni. Yeah. I just got to a place where I, I felt like I couldn't handle things. Mm -hmm. And that's when I locked myself away. And, you know, being taken home, you know what? I needed that. Mm. Took the pressure off. Mm. Made me stop, you know, worrying about things. I started to feel like I was I was, I was a failure. Yeah, yeah. But actually, like I said earlier, you know, yeah. 
it was just me not applying myself and it wasn't me failing no. or it was just a failure of the situation. Well, what about more recently with your mental health though? Because obviously you're, you're through a lot of adversity now, but I mean, I'll be honest, I'm 46 now and I've been a mental health advocate, mental health first aid. I do loads of stuff in mental health online, as you know, but I'm a coach and all these kind of things, but I'm a human being and I've got mental health and they're, they're much less frequent, but there's days where I have bad mental health days and I'm happily able to admit that and, and accept it and um, I don't think you're ever out of the woods what about yourself no so what's really interesting is you know obviously having studied psychology at university it puts an added layer of you should know how to handle your own mental health so as a I study psychology at university so you there's almost an expectation that you should have a toolkit to support yourself because you're very knowledgeable and you're a professional in this area I didn't go to therapy until 2016, despite having these struggles since 2004, Mm -hmm. which just shows, you know, how, how unwise I was not actually seeking that earlier, but also shows just how far the world's come where it's much easier to access that. And, you know, I've spoke openly about that and how, you know, I have since used therapy to, to kind of support that journey. I've also got a much more supportive network now. And it's great to see, you know, the students of today actually have places to go if they're struggling mm-hmm. and people to speak to. Because, you know, back then, Chris, the first contact I got from uni when I when I when I dropped out was, are you paying your fees? It wasn't, yeah. you know, where's your head at or where's your mind at or what's happened to you? Right. It was, we well, hope you're paying your fees this yeah, quarter. Exactly, um, exactly. So yeah, no, I still I still have challenging times. I do have a much more supportive network now. Uh, I kind of feel that for me. As an advocate, I share some of the challenges that I have online yeah. and I'm very open about that. Um, but I live in a world similar to you where we talk to founders all the time. Founder mental health is in a dire place. I'd yes. say 75% of the founders that I know yeah. are struggling significantly, yeah. but they can't share it. They're like, my investors, yeah. you know, my clients, yeah. my employees, what are people going to think? Are they going to think it's going to impact my decisions, my choices, how mm. I turn up? You know, are they think I'm going to... Fundamental health is such an important thing. They talk to you and me in private about it. Yeah. They never post it on LinkedIn. Yeah. So we try and normalize it. I'd go as far to say that, you know, getting a handle on the mental health well-being of, of the leaders and even the, 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 the employees is a, has a direct correlation on performance and bottom line results as well. So we can go in there, I can go in there and, and help them with operations and scaling and I do all that kind of stuff. But you've got to get them to open up and talk and feel comfortable about themselves as well. I think it's so important. Yeah, and I think that even how we frame that, because what I've found is if you like change therapy to coaching as terminology mm. people are up for some performance coaching yeah even if it's therapy right exactly it yes. really engage especially male leaders yeah they're yeah. up for anything that's gonna uh, yeah. well leadership training i'll have some of that yeah it could be therapy yeah, but yeah. they're all over it if it doesn't sound like it's yeah, you know they're being told that there's something wrong with you mm. uh, and that again is down to all the stereotypes that we face from a societal perspective but i'll tell you what you know those who are opening up about it now they're playing an important role in kind of Absolutely. demystifying some of those challenges. And you are as well, with what you're doing. Mm, same to you, buddy. <laughs> On that point, I want to, I think I've got a long list here. I've got Great Britain Entrepreneur of the Year. Uh, you've done some stuff with the Telegraph and Vogue magazine. You, you've done some stuff with, uh, you're an equity advocate. Give us a, a, some highlights of some of those in some more detail. Because you've, you've done quite a few things. Yeah. I mean, you know what, Chris? The, the, I always say the recognition and the, and the awards, mm. they're great. But at the end of the day, I don't do what I do for some glass on my shelf yeah. or some nice certificates or, you know, appearing in a magazine. Like, I suppose those moments, they make me reflect and think that somewhere, someone somewhere is saying, Lee, you're doing good stuff, keep doing it. Yeah. So for me, it's very much a, a little bit of validation on the journey. But, you know, winning the Great British Entrepreneur Awards, didn't expect it, you know, Really, kind of out of the blue. And I saw a video that you was when you're, you're not your your great jacket again. You you look shocked, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the thing is, you, you go into these things, and especially when you know who you're up against mm. and you're shortlisted with, mm. you you kind of you never go in expecting that you're gonna you're gonna win. And in mm. fact, I I go in there with a I'm 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 gonna turn up, and there's a there's, I suppose there's a level of humility. Not to a point where I don't appreciate some of the good stuff that I've done. Yeah. But I'm not getting caught up in my own ego 
thinking, oh yeah. man, I'm going to put all my energy into winning this stuff. And then, because yeah. again, business carries on, life carries on. You wake up the morning after winning something and you're cracking back onto doing what you're doing. Is that because I think this is because you learned your lesson about back in the day where you were doing it to prove somebody wrong. Now you're not, you're not doing it to prove anybody wrong or right. You're just, you're doing it how it feels, how it feels for you. Yeah, and, and I'd say ultimately, Chris, you know, once you've kind of gone through that process of unpacking your own ego, you're actually then able to go on a journey where your ego isn't in the driving seat. Yeah, You're just in, a, in an ability to kind of hit a bit of a rhythm mm. and kind of ride the wave of what you do. Mm. And, you know, I'm kind of think the impact of the work that, you know, both of us do mm. spreads a lot wider than we know. Yeah. We manage to impact people who, until they might one day message you on LinkedIn saying, you know what, I've been following yeah. your content and, yeah. you know, it's you've nice made feeling, such a difference when I've had this mm. challenging time. We never really know the impact that we have and the power of our words and the things Very we true. put out there. At the end of the day, you know, awards, awards are lovely. It's nice to be recognized, mm. but it's not going to be those things that, you know, are going to mm. sit with people when, you know, you're able to impact them because awards don't make people feel things beyond a bit of, celebration yeah. excitement yeah. it's how you make people feel definitely that's the impact that they're going to remember not the shiny class from trophy.com yeah i agree with that we're coming to the end of it um i mean i've been touched by some of the stuff you've you've said it's been a real humbling moment for me and it's one of the words i'd use to describe you amongst others but um what has been your most proudest moment so my proudest moment is definitely taking those first steps with my daughter like, I don't think anything will ever beat that. Yeah. And, you know, I was recently out in California, uh, received a fellowship from the National Academy of Sciences in the States. Wow. First black British scientist to ever win that fellowship. Well, congratulations, man. It's amazing. Um, and the only British, you know, scientist to to be on the on the cohort 40 this year. Yeah. And people are like, wow, that's massive. And I'm like, still, don't, don't compare to taking those first steps with my daughter. Like, you know, I for all the recognition that I get, it's about the people in your life, you know, Chris, mm. the people who are there supporting you day in, day out, the people who are on the journey with you. Yeah. And you know what? The biggest thing for me now is that having been on that journey, having the bond with my kids that I do, mm. I can come down to London and spend a few days and they know what I'm doing. They're cheering yeah. me on behind the scenes. <laughs> if anything, Chris, you know, I win an award and my kids are more excited than I am. Yeah. And that's a measure of that's actually great. creating an impact in the world. Be. But I love what I do. I love the people that I do it with. And ultimately, I love making an impact. And, you know, love is massively undervalued in entrepreneurship because, you know, it's what gets you up in the morning. Mm. It's so important to look. I, I, look, I read somewhere that... Um, looking at things through a lens of love can transform your outcomes, you know, not in a, not in, in a business sense as well around when, you know, you get a difficult negotiation or a different kind. It's kind of like, it's just a hurdle, but don't see it as, don't see it as a difficulty. See it as something that you can challenge. Yeah, absolutely. With, with regards to your future then, what's that looking like for you? What's, what does the future hold for you? Yeah. So I'm continuing to sustainably scale my business. Right. I've always kind of said it's going to be boutique, focused on quality and selective of who it works with. Mm -hmm. People who want to do this properly, yeah. who want to create those foundations. And for me, you know, I'm still kind of looking, you know, I enjoy speaking and really kind of, you know, being able to challenge people's perceptions mm. on things around well-being and inclusion. You know, the allyship work is important to me, yeah. continuing to hopefully be a bit of a role model that I didn't have when I was younger to others. Fantastic. And just to continue to, you know, showcase that founders can have a family life, founders can manage their health and not be burnt into a crisp hustle culture in every day and trying mm. to outwork every person on the globe. Yeah, because yeah. you know what? I, I really push boundaries. And when I became ill, I realized, man, it's not worth it. Yeah. And actually, you know, most founders kind of need that journey, that yeah, first journey. Of course they do to really be able to appreciate, come out the other side and see what's meaningful, what's valuable, have that purpose chiseled and be able to then go and apply all the mistakes that they've made, all the knowledge that they've gained yeah. to actually make the world a better place. That's a great place to kind of finish. One last question, or maybe two. One last question. Um, what's one piece, I know you don't like unsolicited advice, but I think you're very well uh, experienced and justifiably able to give advice through your experiences. What, what advice would you like to give young entrepreneurs or any age entrepreneurs, someone who, you know, 
who wants to make their mark on the world? What I would say is just take a step back. I think that any business that's going to make a difference requires momentum. Mm -hmm. That requires an awful lot of effort. And this idea that you can, you know, fly off to the other side of the world and, and work from a beach somewhere. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen a business that was successful that's actually started like that. No. It starts with graft. Where are all these businesses started? Parents, garages, you know, mm -hmm. spur rooms. Yeah. Um, it starts with graft. You go dark. But actually, once you've got that momentum, you need to stop and reflect before the next push. Yeah. And that's where I see a lot of, you know, founders really struggle because they just continue, continue, and they don't ever stop start to work on themselves i couldn't agree more and i know you don't like the, the term mountain but I, I i see it as like climbing an icy mountain you've got to get to a ledge stop pause think reflect get perspective and then climb again if you're constantly yeah. climbing you're just going to slip down yeah and it's that thing where you know that momentum is infectious it's yeah nice to see it's things addic growing it's addictive, it's it? addictive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. if you don't stop reflect because there are times when you stop you reflect and you realize, I'm just going to turn a few degrees this way totally. and push again. Totally. Um, and, yeah. you know, the pandemic did that for a lot of people. I got them to stop, yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Right, right. pivot slightly. And as much as pivots overused again, they kind of decided to actually push in a slightly different direction. And you need mm. to do that because I think that any good entrepreneur needs to work on the business enough to have some scope and sight what's happening on the ground. Yeah, yeah. They need to work kind of in it, building it. The, the ecosystem around it yeah yeah but they also need to work on themselves mm. and on the business totally right so it, you know you need those kind of four perspectives because often the business can outgrow the the, the leader you know you want the lead as you say you want to be controlling the business and the business not controlling you right well exactly and you know as soon as it starts to run you will end up with that snowball chasing you yeah. and trust me you know, you need a lot of endurance to outrun a snowball because it yeah. just gets bigger. Bigger, yeah, and faster. <laughs> um, absolute pleasure. Where can we or anyone find you? LinkedIn, anywhere else? Yeah, so LinkedIn's probably a place where you'll see me posting content, challenging yeah. perceptions every single day, yeah, yeah. Uh, most likely. Uh, but yeah, if you want to get a bit, bit, bit of a better overview of what I do, leechambers.org, you'll see the different aspects to what I do. Brilliant. From a business perspective, essentialize.co.uk. Mate, absolute pleasure. Congratulations on your achievement. I want to get you back on in a couple of years and see where you are because yeah, you're just an interesting guy and a very humble guy. I just want to say well done. Thanks for coming on. Pleasure. Part two coming up. Appreciate it. The Purpose Led Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Vincherry, the recruitment operating system used by 20,000 recruiters worldwide. I chose to partner with Vincherry because I'm a customer. I love their modern REC OS system, a single tech platform to streamline the front, middle, and back office operations of executive search, permanent contract, and temp businesses. If you're looking for a new breed of tech partner, talk to Vincherry. They have follow the sun support with seven offices around the world. Check them out at vincherry.io forward slash Chris O'Connell for an exclusive offer for all listeners. The Purpose Led Leadership Podcast is also sponsored by My People Group. My People Group helps recruitment businesses to inject a genuine added value differential into the service they offer to clients. The product is a data-driven, talent-fit platform that enables and ensures candidates are placed in roles where they will thrive and teams where they will feel happiest. Candidates feel valued throughout the process and hiring managers are empowered to make better decisions. The results are incredible. Recruitment businesses introducing my people as part of their recruitment service are winning much more high quality business, strengthening existing relationships with clients and securing more placements. Used internally, the product enables you to develop your people efficiently and allows you to better assess the team fit of new hires. I chose to partner with my people, because I firmly believe when identifying, attracting and developing talent, behaviors and attitude are just as, if not more important than skills and experience. My people specialize in measuring the environmental, behavioral and psychological factors that affect team success. So I couldn't think of a more aligned partner. They're working with over 50 UK recruitment firms and have previously supported some of Britain's greatest supporting elite teams, such as England Rugby, Saracens RFC, 
numerous Premier League football teams and the Philadelphia 76ers. They believe that your culture is the key to engaging your people, maximising health and well-being and unlocking team performance. So if you're serious and you're looking for a better way to enhance your culture, drive performance and make better hiring decisions with my people, drop me a line at chris at basemindset.com for an exclusive offer for all listeners. Thank you.